Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by Lazy Boy Home Furnishings in Amarillo. You probably know Lazy Boy as a national brand, but some of its stores are independently owned and operated, and the one here in Amarillo is locally owned. It's owned by the Hawkins family. They live right here in town, and almost everything they sell is American-made, and it's a lot more than just recliners. You can shop the Memorial Day sale this month with savings throughout the store and special 0% financing for up to 36 months. Visit Amarillo's locally owned Lazy Boy Home Furnishings today at 3636 Sonsi. Today's guest is Chris Podzimny, whom almost everybody else calls Pods. If you're a subscriber to the new Brick and Elm magazine, or if you've seen it on social media, you might recognize Pods from the cover of our very first issue. Now, I did this interview with him before I knew he would be the subject of our first cover story. But the stuff he talked about in our interview for the podcast was so interesting that I saw the potential. I, I thought, man, that could be an article. So Chris Podzimny is a trail builder. He and his team at Six Pack Outdoors have carved out a lot of the newer hiking and mountain biking trails in Paladuro Canyon, uh, the Ninth Street Trails in Amarillo, the Canyon Trails at Buffalo Hill, and now he's working on trails at the Rick Klein Complex. And Although he did all this stuff as kind of a side project for the last 10 years or so, it literally was a labor of love. Now he's able to do it full time. And we talk about that in this episode. So here's Chris Podzimny. Chris Podzimny, welcome to the Hamarillo Podcast. Thanks for being here. Jason, thanks for having me. Well, I, it's my honor to have you. I know you've listened to the show before. Uh, we've, we've known each other for a while. And I, um, I, I want to start with you, though, the way I start with every guest and just ask how did you end up here? Why are you in the Amarillo area? Well, um, I was born in Amarillo, and I've spent most of my life in Amarillo. I spent uh, a few years in Pampa. I went to middle school and high school in Pampa. I graduated a harvester. Um, but after that, I pretty much came back to Amarillo, went to uh, Amarillo College the first time around. We moved around a little bit uh, after Amarillo College. Uh, I went to Tulsa to visit my brother one weekend, who was going to the Spartan School of uh, Aviation. Okay. And uh, I went for the weekend, and I ended up staying another year there. Okay. Trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. It was a long weekend. It was a long <laughs> weekend. It was a great weekend. Had a lot of fun. Rode a lot of bikes. Um, it, was, it, it was great. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with my brother, who's my half-brother. We didn't really grow up uh, together a lot. I got to see him on the weekends you know, maybe once or twice a month. So that was great for our relationship and a good time in my life. We came back to Amarillo, met my wife uh, while going to WT. After a few years, we opened uh, our own cycling shop. It was mm -hmm. called Extreme Sports, and we sold bicycles and skateboards and, you know, outdoor recreation gear. Um, but then we started having kids. Um, when we had our, our second son on the way, um, I decided that if it was time to make a change in my life, you know, before we got too deep into the bicycle business, mm -hmm. that was the time. So I went back to school. Uh, I had gotten a job with the city of Amarillo as a, an environmental investigator. It was kind of, I don't know, I really liked the outdoors back then. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't want to be in the outdoors, so I was looking for a job that would allow me to do that, and yet still give me time to ride bicycles and stuff like that, and so with my growing family, and that was it. Um, went back to WT after I got the job in the environmental field, and I was like, well, I, I guess I better figure out what the heck I'm actually doing now that I have this job, so I got a degree in environmental science, Okay, um, and then... Pretty much about the last decade, I've been with the state of Texas at the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality as an environmental investigator. My territory was kind of the top 26 counties of the panhandle, and I got to see a lot of the Texas panhandle during that time, which was great. I, I love being outside, and I love history, and I like traveling, and I got to do all those things. Uh, while I was with the state, what kinds of things were you investigating in that role? Um, I was mainly in the water field. Okay. So um, if it's water and it's regulated, whether by a business or a government entity, I would regulate that. Um, I would go and make sure that those water systems um, were being operated properly. Okay. Typically um, like municipal water systems? Municipal or? and private water systems. Okay. Anything that was a public water system was really my focus. In addition to that, I did the surface water quality monitoring, where we go to the area lakes and rivers, right. and we just collect samples. And that's what really I I, I wish I was doing full time when yeah. I was with the state, visiting lakes and rivers. Yeah, and yeah playing outside. Um, um, I, I want to know a little bit before we get too much further in your career. Um, you know, you you spent your formative years in Pampa, uh, but ended up here in Amarillo, you know, full time. Was, was there ever a thought as you were a kid trying to decide what you were going to do that, that you're going to stay around in the panhandle? Did you ever dream of going away someplace else? I mean, do you, was that part of the plan? Um, yes. Before that long weekend in Tulsa, I just finished my associate's degree and I was really into bike racing at the time, road racing. Lance Armstrong was, you know, all the rage and mm-hmm. You know, I was a Lance fanboy, and I wanted to be just like him. I'm I'm fairly competitive. I love racing still to this day. And um, so, yeah, I was wanting to move to the mountains. I was was about to go to Albuquerque, but I ended up going, you know, the other direction to Tulsa instead. Um, But, you know, like so many people that we've known, it's really easy to get drawn back into Amarillo. Yeah. It's it's really is a special place. It just sees its flatness out here, but I see so much more, you know. And they've had the opportunity to see a lot of the the great hidden spots that you don't see from I forty or two eighty seven when you're just driving through. And I I know that you you know as a uh, a, a cyclist. You know, you end up having an appreciation for both the flatness of the landscape and also for some some rugged terrain. If, if you're on a, a road bike, you know, a, a flat highway is pretty nice, uh, but it's not quite the same on a mountain bike. So you you get to enjoy both of those different parts. Um, yeah, you know, what I associate with flatness is our wind, mm-hmm. of course, because you're always dealing with that. But you know, we have some of the the biggest climbs in the state of Texas within an hour to drive of Amarillo, Texas. So I don't really, everybody thinks it's flat up here, but the Panhandle is not flat. I mean, we've got great canyons and valleys all over the place, and they're just off the main highways. And, mm-hmm. you know, just people need to take some time and slow down, and, you know, we got plenty of hills around here. 
So I, I know that your your career, maybe not your interest, but your career has sort of shifted uh, in the past year. Tell me, tell me what you're doing now. Okay, so as of January 1, um, I have joined the Fairly Group full-time as a community health ambassador. It is now my full-time job to build trails and develop outdoor recreation places um, and to help put on our local mountain bike race series full-time. And I know that that was something you were doing anyway. Like, that was, that was how you spent your weekends was building trails and, and maintaining trails and all that kind of stuff before it became part of your job description. Yes, absolutely. It was, um, you know, there, there, I've got several loves in my life. Obviously, the wife and kids are number one. But number three, not too far behind, is bicycles, followed by four trails in the outdoors and yeah so that's that's how my family we spend our weekends and our spare time is going and being outdoors but also uh, building trails in our federal state and uh, municipal properties wherever we can find them tell me a little bit about that process i mean can can anybody who goes out to a federal property and says, oh, this should be a trail there. You can't just go out there with a pick and a shovel and start building a trail. So what, what kind of hoops do you have to go through in order to, to do that? There's a lot of red tape involved. Um, and, you know, the, the cities are pretty easy to deal with or to work with um, because generally when we go in to build some trails, people in the communities are already asking for them. And unfortunately, the cities don't really have money for those type of projects, you know, and, and really don't understand what people are asking for. Mm -hmm. So, but whenever you're talking about state and federal projects, like the, the BLM crossbar ranch, mm -hmm. north of Amarillo, Paladura Canyon state park, Caprock Canyon state park, generally between the idea of the trail, once it's formed to actually being able to put shovel to dirt, um, at a minimum, takes one to two years. Just to get the permissions. Yes. To... There are multiple permit processes. You've got to you know, get a permit from the archaeologist. You've got to get a permit from the biologist. You know, you've got to make sure the tourism folks are happy mm -hmm. and that it's going to provide um, interpretive possibilities for them. They can put a nice set sign, a trailhead sign with a little history lesson on it. So, um, yes, it's a long drawn out process and it's usually not involved just here locally. Um, the locals are usually the easiest ones because we've been doing this for many years and have developed those relationships. They know who we are and that we're doing good work. Um, but then they have to get permission from their supervisor and then that person's supervisor, you know, so. Was there any organizational entity behind it? Like before you were, you know, working for the Fairley group or uh, what you're doing now, I mean, was it just like a group of citizens saying we've built some trails before we want to do this? Can we do it? Well, so I've worked with numerous groups over the years. Um, at Paladura Canyon, I'm with a group called the Paladura Canyon Corps of Engineers. Okay. And really, it's not a 501c3. It's just a, a loose uh, affiliation of like-minded individuals that, that love our park, that love Paladura Canyon, love building trails 
and, uh, you know, providing the opportunities for all of our other citizens to go out there and experience the park. So initially with Palo Duro Canyon, um, we, our little loose affiliation, we just came up with a letterhead and went to the <laughs> park and, you know, had a map showing what we wanted to do. And that was about it. It has definitely grown since then. Um, the last three years, my partners of I uh, incorporated Six Pack Outdoors Inc. We're a 501c nonprofit, and we've used that as a vehicle to move us through these permitting processes okay. and approach various entities. And really, we don't often we don't have to really approach towns anymore they, they they come to us now right asking us to build trails which is great but if you're approaching the federal government it, it right, feels a yeah, little bit yeah. more legitimate when you've got a nonprofit status well, yeah and then when we were working on the blm crossbar ranch thankfully we've got a great partner in uh, adrian who's the the superintendent of the crossbar ranch and you know he did all the permitting red tapes and loopholes okay. before we even got there. All right, so he laid the groundwork. Then. He laid the groundwork. He just asked us to come help him build his trails. Tell me a little bit about the process. This is something I think about all the time, whether I'm on a trail in you know, Colorado, in the backcountry, or I'm at Paladuro Canyon. I'm like, what, how, do you, how do you get a trail here? Like, like beyond the red tape and getting uh -huh. permission, what happens when you a bunch of people go out there with some shovels and they have a starting point, and they think, okay, we want to end up there. What do you do? Do you just start okay. hacking away, or do you... No, there's a little more planning goes into it, and, you know, and, and we have to have the idea before we ever do the red tape. But once we get through the red tape, you know, we, we go out, and it involves many, many hours of hiking and choosing your route, uh, and we, we flag that route. And sometimes you have to go back two or three times and make sure... Um, that your grades look good, like the, mm -hmm. the level of the trail bed, that you're not going to come across any erosion problems okay. in your future, you hope. Uh, in in an environment as dynamic as the canyon, you know, you're going to have the side of a cliff cave off and avalanche your trail, and there's nothing you can do about that. But um, we use a system um, when we're building our trails. They're called rolling contour trails. So we're constantly looking at the grade and flow of the trail because we want, when it rains, we want the water to flow off the trail as fast as possible. Hmm. We don't want the water flowing down the trail right. that you would hike. You, we want it flowing off to the side. So we, we build the trail bed slightly off camber so the water is going to naturally flow to the side of the trail. And we make it go up and over little hills and bumps as frequently as possible around a rock, around a bush, something to, that's going to force the water to move off the trail bed. So there's, you're, it's not so much that you're carving it out of the existing landscape. You're almost building it up well, to create it in a way. It's a little bit of both. I mean, yes, we want to use the, the unique texture and flow of the land to, to lay out our trail. Uh, but, I mean, we're using fairly heavy machinery. We hit, we're cutting in these trails with mini dozers generally. Okay. And then uh, our, our volunteer crew comes in, and that can be anywhere from 5 to 30 or 40 people that come in behind us and smooth everything out and cut off 
the 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 dead branches that are poking mm-hmm. into the trail bed and getting rid of the dirt clods and the berms that we leave behind with the machinery. How long of a process, you know, let's let's say all the all the bureaucracy stuff is done mm-hmm. and you start building the trail, typically how long does that take? Well, I, mean, I know it depends on the location, it depends on the length, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we we started our newest municipal project on the 1st of December and up through what, last weekend we had built about five and a half miles of trail. Okay. So that's pretty fast. It's pretty fast. Well, it um, seems fast to me. I don't know anything. You know, a lot depends on the terrain and how much vegetation do we have to move or trim or completely remove? You know, how steep is the trail? How much rock are we digging in? There's a lot of factors. Like on, on a flat, fairly level piece of terrain, you know, we get two of our little mini dozers in there with 20 or 30 people running rakes. We can cut in a couple of miles a day. Hmm. So, but those kind of trails seem kind of boring to me. Okay. I want some you elevation want to chip out some change. Rock I and... want some rocks and, you know, put in some cool bridges and stuff like that. At what point, you know, let's say you're building a trail and you've got mountain biking in mind, say it's at the canyon or something like that. You know, when do you start running bikes over it? Because I know a, a trail is dynamic. It changes the more it's trafficked and, and every you know, tire that goes up and down it is, is digging a little bit of, or causing a little bit of erosion, digging some of that trail out. When do you move beyond the, uh, the shovel and raking phase to, you know, let's, let's ride some bikes over this thing. Um, well, not everybody's going to agree with me, but I, I, I want bikers and hikers and people walking their dogs out there immediately. Um, you know, obviously we don't want them underneath our machinery when mm-hmm. we're out there cutting it, but as soon as I'm out of the way, I want I want people outside enjoying it. I think uh, you know people need to be outside, so immediately. Okay, even even before it's finished, I guess you're you're hiking or, or maybe yeah, riding up to your starting point for the well, day. Well, you know that gives me more information when I come mm-hmm. back and I'm still working on the trail, but I left for a day or two and I come back and I see fresh tracks. It really helps me see. How are people utilizing the trail? What line are they taking? Right. Does, does this flow well? Is is this an interesting way to walk down this hill? Are they gonna? What are they gonna see? And so, you know, I, I like having that extra information even while we're under construction. You've mentioned a, a couple of the d- destinations. What are some of the specific trails that that you've worked on that people might recognize? Maybe oh. Paladura Canyon. Where? Yeah, Paladura Canyon. Um, Paladura Canyon is always a big partnership between our various user groups. We have uh, a lot of hikers um, and some equestrian users even that come out and help us when we're building the trails out there. I'm, I'm very partial to the Comanche Trail and Rock Garden Trails in Paladura Canyon. Um, very proud of the new Cottonwood Trail that we just cut in last year outside of Paladura Canyon. We've been doing work at the other Paladuro, Paladuro Lake, uh, near Spearman. Um, They've got a great little trail system. It's about an hour and a half from Amarillo, but completely worth the trip. um, There's a lot of history out there. They've got great trails. Uh, There's some neat caves. And if you're into fishing, they've got good fishing, too. I know that we, we think about trails pretty often and we think about these destinations like that mm-hmm. when, you know, you drive out there and then you use those trails or you would go out to the, the canyon or Caprock. But I know that you're also involved with 
local projects and, and carving out some trails here within the city. Yes, absolutely. Um, out at Meta Park, we've had some trails for as long as I've been riding bikes. Out at, we call them the Ninth Street Trails, uh, sometimes known as the Hobo Hills, <laughs> out by Meta Park. Uh, and we've been doing work out there for the last few years. Uh, after we lost the the children's home trails slash pitcher pump ranch, right? We we really moved back into town and started looking for properties that were publicly owned because we didn't want to build another trail system that then got sold out from underneath us because I mean, we had twenty miles of trail at yeah pitcher pump and that was that was a hard pillow to swallow yeah. losing that. That place. was a great system of trails though. Thank you. So we've got 9th Street, and we are about to break ground on the new Rick Klein complex trail system um, out on the southeast side of town uh, between Grand and Eastern and south of 34th Street, kind of by the Comanche uh, golf course. Okay. And so describe that to people who maybe only know it, you know, because they played softball games or something there. What, what are those trails going to look like? They're going to be pretty easy trails. Um, it's, a, it's a very flat piece of land. There's not a whole lot of uh, variation in the terrain, but what it makes up for not having hills is it's got tons of trees, especially okay. on the, the south and southwest portion of the property. There are thousands of trees out there, and we're going to utilize those to make a, a really fun, interesting trail system. We're going to put in uh, features like built wooden features uh, that people can you know, challenge themselves on uh, like a skills course okay. through the woods. And then we had another idea that, uh, you know, when we were looking at kind of the more open areas, like how are we going to make this terrain more exciting? Well, it got me to thinking of one-line drawings, like you would see at the Nazca lines in Peru. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, that we could do that. We could make a geoglyph because that's what those Nazca lines were. They would do their little pilgrimages mm -hmm. along these shapes that, you know, drew giant pictures that were only visible from, from in the air. Or Google Earth. Or Google Earth, even. And uh, so I've been toying with that idea. I think we're going to include some geoglyphs. And, you know, uh, every time that... A person goes out and hikes or bikes the trails, and they're using a fitness tracker like Strava or a Garmin or uh, Map My Run. Mm -hmm. That geoglyph, that picture, will show up on their workout. And so we're still working on how can we incorporate, you know, imagery that represents Amarillo. Because that leads to people geoglyphs. sharing, you know, a screenshot of their run. It it all kind of feeds. Feeds into the trail system, helps people talk about their fitness, like all those things sort of build off each exactly. other. I'm interested in, well, I, I think listeners would be interested in the Rick Klein complex trails because of the trees. I've, I've had conversations with people before where they're like, we've got some walking trails around here, but I like walking in a, a forest. You know, I like walking in, a, in some trees. I mean, you just can't get that in Amarillo. And I, I think that might be a, a really attractive part of it. Oh, it's going to be great. I was out there marking the initial loop uh, just last week. And while I was going through the trees, tons of deer. Uh, I saw several giant owls. Hmm. And I saw a fox, a little gray fox, just scratching the surface of mm -hmm. what is available out there. I'm still exploring and learning that property what right kind now. Of, what kind of time frame does that have from, from where we are now in the planning stages to eventually being open to the public? Okay, so 
uh, a few weeks, I would imagine. The plan is to ultimately have about 15 miles of multi-use hike and bike trails at Rick Klein. Okay. Um, so I, I think we'll, we'll have all 15 miles of like, cross-country trails done by the end of the summer. Hmm. Okay, that's, um, that's fast. But that's only one aspect of that project. We're also going to take the old Tornado Alley BMX track. Yeah. That's been closed down for a number of years now. I, I approached their board of directors, and they had no plans for, you know, revitalizing. They, they, they all have, uh, have families and are busy with other things in life right now. And I said, hey, well, how would you feel about me making that into a pump track? Hmm. And, you know, and, and they liked it and they supported that. So I went to the city and it's like, in addition to these trails that we're going to build, we want to convert the, the BMX track, which was private. It was leased by a private entity from the city. So not just anybody could go out there. What we're going to do is make it into a pump track that anybody can go to anytime they want because it's just going to be a part of the city park. And I, I wonder what kinds of conversations you've had with the city, you know, since this is uh, the Rick Klein trails are, are municipal owned, um, about the need for this in the area. I, I know that there's there are always conversations going on um, about the public park structure, about quality of life in the city, about the things that, that people miss from other cities that they visited. And, and you know, tell me kind of how the city's looking at this and, and why why they're letting you guys do this. Well, the city understands and realizes that this is a need, and people have very vocally been requesting this from the city of Amarillo for quite some time. We had the, the big survey that went out last year, and overwhelmingly, the, the responses came back. The city of Amarillo wants trails. They want open space. And, and the great thing is, Amarillo has open space. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of open space in Amarillo. And we don't just have our eyes on Rick Klein and Ninth Street. We, there are other properties that we're on, and we're going to do one at a time. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the sad thing is, is that the city of Amarillo just doesn't have the funds allocated for those. So they, and you know, they're not in the business of building trails. And I don't think they really had many people on staff that understood what that meant. What did what did that look like? So, you know, we, we, we showed them what that could look like. And, you know, we went to them and said, hey, we want to help build your trails, and we're not asking you for anything other than access. So we get our funds through private entities, mm-hmm. being a 501c3. Anybody can donate to us. And you know what? People want trails, and they've shown it with their pocketbooks. You know, that made convincing the city very easy. Okay. And Especially they, saying you don't have to pay anything for it. That's it's easy to right exactly to get those decisions made. They've seen our good works at Paladero Canyon, at Crossbar Ranch, at the City of Borger, City of Canyon, Buffalo Hill Trails. Um, we've also built trails and helped maintain the trails in Dalhart at Rita Blanca. So our city workers know those communities and their city workers, and you know. We can just give them reference, and they can say, hey, are these guys legit? And like, well, yes, they built us these amazing trails for yeah. nothing, and they all seem to like that. How often do you find yourself using these trails that you've built? I mean, is, if, if you're not building a trail, are you out 
writing on it? Oh, absolutely. Is that kind of how it goes? Um, daily. Daily. My, I've got four kids. Uh, two of them are on the Yellow Jackets uh, cycling team, but okay. all four of them go to practice, you know, two or three days a week. So we, we are very much a bicycle family. I love all our trails, but they get bored, boring, riding the same old trails mm-hmm. day after day. So I, we try to mix it up. Um, we, we love doing little road trips, so it's nothing for us to drive an hour to go up to Border or Spearman or Dalhart to, you know, explore new trails. Okay. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, obviously there's some overlap, but about your official job uh, with the Fairley Group as an advocate, you know, for, um, you know, for the city's health and recreation and stuff like that. Tell me what you end up doing uh, with that. Well, I, I wish it was you know, 80, 20 trail work versus office work, but it's about 50, 50. Um, ever since I've started, uh, my new full-time job on January one, I've had two or three meetings every week with different organizations, different municipalities, um, potential sponsors that want to donate to help bring these trails to fruition. Um, and then I spend a lot of time, maintaining our equipment too that kind of got neglected when i was just doing this on the weekend okay. if something was tore up you know I, I i have lots of bailing wire and duct tape <laughs> um but now i've you know i've been able to spend more time doing that but a lot of the park board meetings uh, a lot of city council meetings uh that way we have a better understanding of what those relationships what their limitations are how can the city help us to help them build new trails i wonder if there may be some listeners who have heard of the fairly group and they know that the work they do uh and think it's well strange that you know they've created this position for you and are wondering like why why would they do that and and i wonder if you could tell me like why that's something that's important to that business well the the fairly family i not only are they savvy business people they have a very strong altruistic streak, I must say. They want to improve the quality of life for everyone living in Amarillo and the Panhandle, um, whether that be through uh, helping to get the new Sodpurgil Stadium or by helping us develop new trails throughout the Panhandle. They see this as a way to you know, easily improve, you know, inexpensively, efficiently, the quality of life in Amarillo. There's a lot of discussion with, you know, when you do talk about quality of life, um, of the importance of recreation in a city. And a lot of times, you know, we'll think about a place like Albuquerque as a, as a, as a recreation city. They've got the mountains. They've got a lot of trails and stuff. Do you think Amarillo is is getting close to that, or is that the goal, to kind of take us a little bit further in that direction? No, Amarillo is already that. Amarillo... And Palo Canyon is absolutely a destination place, you know, certainly for our entire region, but I would say even for the U.S. I mean, it was just a few years ago that Palo Canyon was ranked the number one state park in the nation. We hosted uh, the U.S. Mountain Bike Marathon National Championships yeah. the last two years in a row. Actually, this year it got canceled, but that was of no fault of ours. It was because of the COVID situation. But um, the 24 hours in the canyon is 
uh, or was ranked the number one 24-hour mountain bike race in the world just a few years ago. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously focused a lot on the, uh, the mountain bike cycling side of things, but we also have one of the top-ranked uh, endurance running events in the nation. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you just go down there any day of the week on any weekend, and, you know, there, there are thousands of people that go to the canyon almost every day. But a large percentage of them are coming, especially during the winter, down from the mountains in Colorado and New Mexico because it's warm enough to ride here. And uh, in the summer, it's kind of the opposite. Uh, You get people from down south that want to come up and get out of the humidity. Hmm. We're we're a great central location, and we do have great trails. And so that's that's a reputation maybe the— that maybe locals don't always think about, but outside this area, like Amarillo does have a, a reputation as being a destination for mountain biking, for things like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I don't say, I can't say that I'm, I'm like disappointed that more people don't know about all of our great outdoor recreation facilities in the Panhandle. I, I made a list just the other day of all the different trail systems that we have in the upper 26 counties of the Panhandle. Mm-hmm. And I came up with 15 trail systems. Hmm. And if you ask most people, they're going to say one or two. Right. But uh, we, we really do have great parks and open spaces that are available to us. And I, you know, I want more people to know about them uh, and get out and enjoy them. This episode of Hey Amarillo is brought to you by Brick and Elm Magazine, which I founded with Michelle McCaffrey, last week's interview guest. Incredibly, our May-June issue, our very first issue of the magazine, is finished. It's hitting subscribers' mailboxes with Chris Podzimny on the cover looking like he's about to shovel out a five-mile trail. Uh, it's, It's hitting those inboxes this week. If you haven't subscribed yet to the magazine, go to brickandelm.com and get a year's worth of these magazines for only $14.94. If you want the very first issue and you didn't subscribe in time to get it, it's available right now at Barnes & Noble in Amarillo, at Burrowing Owl Books in Amarillo and Canyon, and at From Six Collective on the way to Bushland. Also, we're having a magazine launch party this Saturday, May 8th, all afternoon out at From Six Collective. And you're invited. I'd love to meet you there. We'll have Food trucks, Brick and Elm t-shirts, stickers, all kinds of stuff. If you're a listener to this show, I'd love to see you. So come on out. Okay, I'm back with Chris Podzimny. Chris, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight wooden arrow shatters and projectile points found in Paladuro Canyon. Uh, some of which are at least 14,000 years old. I imagine you've run into uh, maybe some things that, that might fall within that description while you're out there chipping away yeah, at trails. Absolutely. Um, it's a hazard of the job, but it's it's one I enjoy. I love seeing things. Uh, I love making sure that we protect those. Um, I take pictures, mm-hmm. not points. Yeah. I always leave everything in place. But, yes, that is one of the, the great uh, benefits of building new trails in uh, our amazing canyons. Some accidental archaeology along the uh, way. Absolutely. I, I, I uncovered a large uh, hearth and shipping site in Border the other day. Really? And we wow. had to redirect the trail to, 
protect and the then you have to like contact the uh, archaeological folks to say hey well, it's we the, the park system now in the city yes. yeah all right well anyway you can uh, learn more about the museum at panhandleplains.org okay on to the questions chris what's one thing 2020 revealed to you about local people 2020 revealed to me that we all need to get outside more being cooped up inside just is, is not healthy for us um we, when you get out and get our vitamin D, make sure our, our bodies are, are strong and as healthy as they can be, you know, when and if you do get sick. I remember those first few weeks of the pandemic, um, March and April of 2020, that I would look out my window while I was working and just it was a constant stream of people walking down the block, riding their bikes. I mean, it felt like all of a sudden everybody rediscovered going outside to walk, you know, it didn't sustain it, you know, through the, the rest of the pandemic. But like at the beginning, people were like, hey, I got to get out of my house. You know, if there could be said to be one positive thing, that's it. Yeah. yeah. It was people rediscovering outside and getting out and living a healthier lifestyle because they couldn't go to the office. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's something many people didn't realize that we need. And I, I hope I hope everyone keeps up with it. Well, that's one of the benefits of working from home anyway is you take a 15-minute break, and instead of sitting in the break room drinking coffee, you can go for a walk around the block. Exactly. Uh, what does this area have too much of? Well, I, I found this to be the hardest question on the entire list. Um, and I, I could have, you know, wimped out and just said the wind. Mm -hmm. um, it's a common answer. It's a common answer. Um, but I, I think the wind in the panhandle is part of who we are. It's, you know, something that we all have in common um, and can all agree with. It's, it's a really windy day. Boy, that is not any good. And, you know, it's good to have things that, you know, we can identify ourselves with. So I'm not going to say the wind. I am going to say litter and illegal dumping. Okay. I hate litter bugs. I, I spend many years uh, in our wetlands, our rivers and our lakes around the Panhandle. And I know exactly where that litter goes. It just doesn't disappear. It goes into the nearest playa or creek, and there it stays. And it really disgusts me to see um, all the plastic bags fluttering in our wonderful West Texas wind stuck on a barbed wire fence. Mm -hmm. And so, you can... You can drop a plastic bag here in the middle of the city and it may still find its way out to some playa somewhere and you know start to disrupt the ecosystem well that's that's exactly where it's going to go as soon as it goes in that storm drain it's headed to the nearest playa lake here in town and you know i i, I really hope that uh we find the resolve to uh make our community partners go in there and clean those up at some point i'd be glad to help okay what does this area not have enough of we don't have enough swimming pools. Mm. Okay, um, uh, my first uh, sport that I was very passionate about was swimming. I joined the Emerald swim team when I was six. My very first coach uh, still coaches swim team today. Coaches my own boys, but back then we had, I believe, four uh, junior Olympic or full sized Olympic swimming pools in Amarillo, Texas. Now we're down to one. Yeah. We're down to the town club. So we have four or five high school swim teams, and in addition to the club teams, 
and uh, Ascension Academy team, and they're all sharing like four lanes of one pool. Uh, our swim teams used to be powerhouses in this state. Uh, we had way more resources, way better pools 20 years ago than we do now. The town club is great, but it's just not enough. And our school districts and our cities need to step up and uh, make a pool happen. I absolutely agree with that. I, I've been traveling over the past week um, with my son's basketball team, and we've played in some small-town high schools like Seminole and Andrews. And you walk in there, yes, they've got a great basketball court. But in both of those, I can see their swimming pool and diving platforms. And it's nicer than anything at the town club. And that's just for this one you know, high school in All a right. town of 8,000 people. And I'm just like, why, why do we not have anything like that here in Amarillo? Well, and it's not just for our high school swimmers. That's the that's type of facility that could be used year-round by anyone. Um, there are a lot of physical therapy benefits. If people who are ill or recovering from injury uh, can use the pools. Um, and, you know, our, I, I think it's sad. I don't know how many city-owned pools we have in Amarillo, but almost all of them are outdoors and are only open for two and a half months of the year. Right. And I think that's just ridiculous. And we've tried. The city's tried before. Yes. A few years back with the Aquatic Center and... Voters said no. Voters said no, um, but we're going to still keep fighting the good fight. We will get an aquatic center at some point. All right. I look forward to that. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Um, Friendly and hardworking, but I I think we kind of speak for ourselves. When I I get friends that come down from Colorado or from East Texas come riding with me, we take them down to Palladura Canyon because that's what everybody wants to ride. And... Alder Canyon is a busy place, but you can always tell the locals because they're always very courteous and say thank you and excuse me when you're passing on the trails. And my friends from out of town are like, hey, what's, why are they being so nice to us? Why aren't they they're trying to shove us off our bikes or something? It's like, no, oh, it's, just, it's just the way we roll up here. Hmm. Okay, that's good to know. What's your favorite local restaurant? Um, this was a toughie too, but... Uh, recently, my wife and I love going to Brent's Cafe on Paramount. They got great food, and uh, they make some great drinks as well. I've, uh, I've I've advocated for Brent's before with friends, and the one thing I tell them is that um, there's there's a lot of Santa Fe in the food there. Like you can tell that it's got a little bit of that southwestern flavor, which is sometimes unique, you know, in a, a world of Tex-Mex to to have a little bit of that. Yes, absolutely. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Well, I have several that I frequent, but right now probably my favorite one is Strata. Okay. Out by the, the medical center. Which is a relatively new entry into the, uh, the coffee scene. Yes, here in indeed. Um, and this would have been a no-brainer if uh, my in-laws were still here in town. Amy and Roman Liao uh, had evocation, but uh, he's busy out in Connecticut. Yeah, and his law degree are taken care of. So, all right. What's uh, when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? About two weeks ago. That's um, pretty recent, then. Oh, very recent. Uh, we had a Amarillo Tourism Board meeting out okay. there. So, talking Makes more sense. Trails. That's a great place to uh, to have a meeting. Uh, Bobby board. Lee was great. Uh, he hosted the meeting, and uh, we got lots of good work done. Okay. 
And the the last question I have is is what's your all time favorite local trail? It doesn't have to be one that you created, but you know what's what's one that you love to get out on? Um, Comanche Trail, Paladura Canyon State Park. Okay. Um, and yeah, I helped with it, but it, it took a it took a whole our whole team to get that done, and a lot of people had a hand in not only building it but designing the route and. I think it's great. We have, we get many many people up here just to ride that one trail. Why? What's its specific draw for people that have not actually been out on that one? Um, Besides the the work that went into it, which obviously uh, is your experience. Well, I think the 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 draw to Comanche Trail are just the magnificent views um, from I guess that's the north side of the canyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're up underneath the the Fortress Cliff formation. And but you're looking back towards the lighthouse and all the other really long side canyons on the south side of the canyon, and the views are just spectacular. Whereas on the south side, all you do is look over and you see Fortress Cliff, and to me, it's, right. yeah, it's that's a really neat cliff, but it it's, it's, it's not quite kind as of diverse. And, right, it needs a big mural up there or something. Okay. Um, all right, Chris, that concludes the eight straight section. I like to ask my guests, uh, before we close to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Okay. So, um, I love history. I love panhandle history and I am fascinated with the past stories. Okay. Um, in my years with TCQ out collecting samples along the rivers, I kept seeing these crazy ruins, these stone houses, up in the canyons along the Canadian River, and I went and researched, and they were the, you know, the first non-native peoples to permanently settle the Panhandle. It didn't end well with them, as the ranchers, the Anglo ranchers came in, they kind of pushed them out, but uh, they they built beautiful communities, and uh, I think it's a sadly overlooked uh, aspect of our, our history in the Panhandle. What was the, the heritage of the Pastori people? I mean, where, where did they come from to settle this area? Well, so they, they came out of New Mexico. So large swaths of New Mexico, southeast Colorado, Oklahoma Panhandle, southwest Kansas, and the Panhandle of Texas. All the, the river valleys, they came in with these massive herds of sheep, and they were, they were Spanish-Mexican descent. That's good to know. That that is a history that a lot of people are less aware of. Absolutely. All right. Chris Podzimny, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Jason, thank you very much. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Chris Podzimny for the interview. And one clarification I want to make just because I'm a journalist and accuracy is important to me. Uh, I think Chris said he was now employed by the Fairley Group. Technically, he's employed by the Fairley Foundation which is a family foundation Alex and Cheryl Fairley set up to give back for local causes in the Amarillo area. So anyway, if you want to know more about his trail building work or sign up to help, go to sixpackoutdoors.org. And I hope to see you this Saturday at our launch party for Brick and Elm at From Six Collective. Thanks as always to Angelina Marie for editing the show and also for shooting the very cool cover photography of pods for Brick and Elm. Thanks also to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight every week and to Amarillo's Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries for its sponsorship of Hey Amarillo. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Barbara and Jim Witten, Josh Wood, Chris Selda, 
Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, and Wes, I might add, has a column in every issue of Brick and Elm. Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 195. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>